You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Welcome, welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us for episode 46 of Cards and Cubes. We are your hosts. I'm Trevor. I'm Christo. And this episode's going to be all about three good cooperative games. Not bad, but good. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, I was going to go say, uh, since we kind of changed the title there, we're going for a section which is not quite our top cooperative games, because I've always struggled with the top lists where you feel like you want to put your top 10 on every top list, basically the same 10 games over and over, and you can kind of fit the themes and force them in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a real struggle to say it's a yeah. top list when it's not really a top list. But, uh, but the games that I put on my list are actually games that I've really kind of enjoyed and have been unique or memorable or worthwhile. We were actually looking up like uh, uh, synonyms for, for, for good and they you know like uh interesting interesting games i guess that uh, have captured yeah spanking <laughs> uh that have captured my uh, imagination or just like impressed me or i remember them or i thought they were a really cool idea even though they might not be super top rated or be the the best game of its kind um i think they're definitely worth playing and looking at um because they're just good so good yeah yeah, we'll get into it more in a bit, but I did kind of the same thing. Not necessarily the things I would rank at the top, but maybe things I've played recently that have been cool and just had a good experience. Yep. Uh, but before we go into cooperative games that we think are good or spanking or satisfactory, a <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, little interesting discussion we wanted to have. We were just talking about if we've played games that overlap with our career paths um it might shock you all to hear that christo and i do not work full-time in the board game industry yeah what do you do um, for a living christo yeah i work actually in finance in the finance department so i do spreadsheets which actually fits really well with uh, the profile of people who like board gaming because they're all like uh, people who like to calculate and that's what i do is i calculate uh, well not like by hand or anything but the concept of calculating and coming up with solutions and just kind of computation i guess is interesting to me logical stuff so yeah that's the profile uh the company i work for is actually a mining uh explosives manufacturing company so we provide a lot of explosives to like construction companies and stuff and uh, uh, mines most of them are open pit mines but some like underground mines as well so uh, kind of an interesting company actually i work in an office though so i never see the exciting stuff hardly oh, um, I've, I've, I've been out <laughs> a couple of times but uh it's more of an exception and like a kind of in a tour capacity just kind of go and see uh, the actual operations but uh yeah we i just work in an office so i see a bunch of numbers and labels on a spreadsheet most of the time and do reports and presentations and stuff and yep but uh yeah yeah um, so the themes that are involved with me are kind of a mixture and I'll talk about it, but um, I don't know, or should I talk about it now or do you want to do a little intro, Trevor? Sure. What you um, do? So I also work in the office, but uh, my work does not get anywhere near explosives <laughs> unless, unless something has gone horribly wrong. 
so I am an attorney and I do commercial real estate work, which basically means I write a lot of documents that nobody will ever read. And I read a lot of things that people don't want to. Um, so basically a lot of my work is um, helping clients purchase and sell commercial properties and uh, finance those acquisitions or lend money and things like that. So I guess you could say in a board game, my job is basically the mechanism behind the mechanism that allows you to like buy things <laughs> or like take out a loan. My, my job is the mechanism behind the mechanism that allows you to get a loan in the game. I, hmm. I paper those loans for you so that you can get them in the game. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, overlapping with board game uh, themes I don't know if I've played a, a a game that's like directly on point with what I do. Uh, we were just talking about a game called uh, Lawyered Up, or Lawyer Up. Lawyer Up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Lawyer Up, which is uh, looks like Samuel Bailey and Mike Gennade or Nade, uh, published by Rock Manor Games, which is kind of uh, more of a courtroom drama type game where you're arguing back and forth and playing cars and trying to get combos or something like that to ultimately end up with the most points. But I am a lawyer that never goes to court. So that game doesn't mean anything <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I guess you could say like the theme with, with that maybe overlaps with sort of my area of, of work would just be kind of games in real estate. Um, but you'll never see my particular job in the game because, like I said, my job is really behind the scenes and scenes, and and doesn't really come to the forefront a lot. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think a lot of themes translate very well to board gaming, and for some reason, they're just interesting, or maybe game designers think they're interesting. Uh, so lawyers apparently aren't i can't really think of a super <laughs> We're not interesting people <laughs> yeah like the profession or something or like what they do i can't like i say like you say i think uh, even movies or whatever like there's been very few movies or just anything about serious like contract work or anything uh but the, there's plenty of no, not plenty but there was a period when the courtroom like type movies were popular um there's quite a few famous ones so i think like yeah. trials trials are the drama of like witnesses and the case and some kind of a twist or whatever is maybe interesting and that's actually what lawyer up is doing i think in, in, in a board game format but i can't remember like you say a lot of i can i can think of some real estate games where like purchasing real estate or something like for sale or something that's a silly yeah. game but yeah. there's some of that but specifically about contracts and like paperwork that doesn't uh hans the tonic actually but that's like trading uh, a lot of games lean towards the trading side or just kind of exchanging of resources or kind of trading of resources because yeah you gotta, gotta move cubes around i guess yeah so if you if you were trying to like envision my job in one of those games you would it's basically just all theme and you just have to imagine that it's there <laughs> you know with the buying something in for sale you just have to imagine that behind the scenes somebody drafted a lot of paper and <laughs> yeah, that like allowed you to get the money yeah exactly yeah you place a worker on the review the contract space <laughs> and then uh yeah well that's i mean there have been shows like uh, i don't know if you've heard of the show suits that 
that was kind of popular lately. But oh, maybe um, I just stopped watch them. I guess. Yeah, and it it was. I mean, it's a lawyer show, but it kind of as any TV show is, it's really unrealistic and doesn't match what actually happens. And then, you know, it shows all like the high drama parts and negotiations and heart strong arming people into things and skips over all the parts where all the documents are created and reviewed and all that type of stuff. Um, so yeah, my, I think my job is just not destined for board games unless yeah. I design it myself. <laughs> Yeah, with uh, kind of the same for me, what I do exactly is not really that well represented, I think, which is like a lot of spreadsheets and uh, like reports and stuff. Um, I think the closest representation would be something like a heavy economic game, which is like a lot into the numbers and like hiring people and stuff, which actually I think I was thinking maybe Arkwright would be like the perfect uh, representation of uh, what I do, which actually is a very interesting game. Um, and I've definitely thought about it and looked at it, but I've never really had the like ultimate desire to play it. And actually a funny thing is um, a lot of those economic and industry games that are really heavy on the calculation and really kind of, uh, uh, I guess, not heavy on the theme or not very appealing to me. And that's the reason why I haven't played Darkrite is like, um, it's just kind of a little, little dry, I guess, uh, for Too what much I, like work. Yeah, it actually, yeah, that's exactly it. It's like, I, I work at work. I don't want to work at board games. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'd like to have fun with board games. However, I'm looking at the economic games and uh, Brass comes up, which um, I, I mean is, is really cool. Um, but it, that involves kind of like logistics and like a net creating a network, a delivery network virtually. Um, I don't know, kind of a mixture. Yeah, uh, actually Power Grid is popping up, which Power Grid is another game where I've played it and I've decided it's too much like a spreadsheet, even though it does have like a network building element. So the summary is basically, even though I, I work in a kind of a finance industry, I kind of shy away from the super heavy finance-centric games with lots of calculations. I like theme in my game which is something I've mentioned before. And speaking of which, I can totally cheat because uh, my company technically helps to mine with explosives. And there's a lot of games about mining, which I really super enjoy. Mother yeah, Super Mother <laughs> Load is one of them. Uh, Coal Baron, I finally played the card game, but I'm interested. Uh, the one where you dig in the Ruhr Valley, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a game where you extract coal from... It's like a German game. Uh, anyway, uh, actually in the whole of the Mountain King, which we played recently, basically all of those games are mining games. And I think mining is a very attractive kind of board game category where a lot of designers pick it because you can mine resources and do stuff with them, which is the essence of a lot of board games. So it just lends itself very well to uh, yeah. really cool designs, I think. And uh, mining games are actually something that I really enjoy. Uh, so that's my cheat is even though I work in finance, I really enjoy mining games because that's kind of what my company does, even though 
Yeah. So your ideal your ideal job if you weren't working in finance would be a miner. Right? <laughs> actually, mining is well, I don't know. In theory, I'd be running the mine. Actually, I think that sounds really interesting. And actually, there have been some com- uh, some people in my company that have left to like mines, uh, and they're actually like CEOs of like a mining oper- operation or a bunch of mining op- like a mining company, basically yeah. like Rio Tinto or whatever. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's. Um, it's interesting, but yeah, that, I think that's what appeals to me as far as the specific like mining and running the machines and stuff. I'm not really that kind of a person. I mean, it's cool, but also like a lot of the times it's a little boring uh, as those jobs kind of go, but some people like it. So anyway, yeah, sometimes you do also what you got to do. And that's been a lot of the mining history is just kind of like got to make a living somehow but uh this is like going off of hu- off on, on a huge <laughs> tangent the summary is i like the mining theme and that's um there have been a lot of really good games with mining themes out there that i enjoy a lot yeah yeah well that's just evidence of why brass is the perfect game because it also can encapsulate my job behind the scenes yep Being, buying up the the shops to put in your businesses and gotta yeah. get loans and and all that so. i mean brass is basically kind of like a normal the ultimate like business simulation so it encapsulates if you imagine enough abstraction yeah. <laughs> it, it encapsulates pretty much every aspect of running anything really some yep. things are very abstracted like the loans and stuff but they are there so yeah it's, there's a lot of paper that goes behind those loans yeah, you don't really hire people and fire people or and manage like costs or anything, which is huge parts of it. Actually, they, I've seen some ideas of creating like really hardcore accounting games, which is actually what my degree is in. Uh, they really don't look fun whatsoever. <laughs> uh, there was a guy who had a Kickstarter project with like literally like a simulation, which we actually we, we did in school. I remember like running a business simulation. Basically, you have a a bunch of statements like uh, profit and loss statement, balance sheet, whatever. And you literally take the business through like 10 years of simulation by like events happening and, uh, doesn't it's 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 not really fun i don't really recommend it as a fun exercise unless you're interested in accounting i guess uh Uh, but yeah they're more like case studies is actually what they are um so yeah there have been some ideas to do some stuff like that like for educational purposes i never can see myself playing them for fun unfortunately so it's too much work like the identical to work for me um yep yeah that reminds me of something i did in in law school i did a mergers and acquisitions um sort of like mini course where we teamed up with folks at the business school and then we just simulated like a company by negotiating for and buying another company but as you might expect my part of that was uh, papering the deal <laughs> so the people at the business school got to do the negotiations and the sexy part and then we turned that stuff into documents <laughs> at, at the law school and, <laughs> and then you know so uh, you might you might be able to make a kind of a cool game out of mergers and acquisitions the concept of like buying smaller companies and just like growing your company make yeah, it huge but, actually but, speaking uh, of which uh, if you're interested in that kind of stuff indonesia is an interesting game and actually i don't know maybe i need to try that game again it uh, the splatter games are kind of big into 
those kind of like companies merging types of uh, ideas. Also, obviously, 18xx is, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I recommend yeah. 18xx to you, but that's like shares in like basically acquiring parts of companies and companies merging. And anyway, yeah. But uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, that was it. Um, that's kind of as close as you get to my job in a board game. So it sounds like we're still just on the quest. But in the meantime, we can play economic and uh, mining games. <laughs> yep, which are actually fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on into games played. Um, I'm going to go ahead and rip this Band-Aid off. And we're going to talk about a game that Haristo and I have played a lot over the past <laughs> several months. Uh, of course, we're talking about Maracaibo, which is the um, Alexander Pfister game. Uh, trading in the Mediterranean, <laughs> you know, like your not stereotypical. The the, oh, uh, not Mediterranean. Sorry, the Caribbean. <laughs> Caribbean, uh, <laughs> yeah. Trading not the Mediterranean. In the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, I just moved Maracaibo to a new location. Uh, trading in the Caribbean game. Uh, it's, I believe a 2019 game. This is published by Capstone games, at least in the U S. Uh, but basically this Maracaibo is, uh, if all of his previous large Euro games got together and had a baby, this is kind of that, um, that, you know, you can see a little bit of Mombasa. You can see a little bit of Great Western Trail of Blackout Hong Kong. You can kind of see those games or, or parts of those games in this game. But basically what is it? What it is, it's a, a rondelle game where you're just sailing in a circle around the Caribbean, uh, stopping at locations to fight for England, France, or Spain, uh, plant your assistance and uh collect money to buy cards and you know get points because that's the whole point and point of the game don't forget explore the jungles oh, yeah. of the amazon <laughs> yeah, which is my favorite the, part of the game yeah definitely the most op part of the game if you ask me <laughs> <laughs> so basically uh there's kind of um two separate focal or three separate focal points of the of the board where you'll have this sort of influence track with those three nations france spain and england and then the main part of the board is the rondelle where you're sailing your ship around and you can go a certain number of spaces and depending on where you land and how many spaces spaces you traveled that turn you can do either a village action which are kind of less powerful actions or the city action where you land and you're trying to take off these little brown discs from your board to unlock better player abilities um it's not really a asymmetric because everybody has the access to the same ones but i guess it could be asymmetric depending on what order you unlock them in um, and then the third part of the board is is this exploration track which is just a one-way track along the jungle to the end where the grand prize is 10 points um, and yeah so the the i suppose the big selling part of, of maracaibo is that it came with a campaign this is definitely not <laughs> Alexander Pfister's first campaign. I'm but laughing because I, yeah, I was gonna say I'm <laughs> laughing because I don't 
think that's the biggest really selling point of Maracaibo. I don't, I don't think they were ever like huge on, yeah, this is like a super cool legacy game. I think it's just like a cool game. And uh, they it did have a campaign, which people talked about, just because I actually think during the time there were a lot of like campaign games happening for some reason. So I think it was like the fashionable thing to talk about. But I, I don't know if like the campaign was really even advertised or like lauded as super um, amazing except I by guess some people i guess yeah some i guess it depends really on who it. you're who yeah. you're watching and listening to because like if you watch rado he loved uh the campaign and if you watch um uh, paul grogan on uh, g- uh game rules or gaming rules, gaming rules um he He's he actually is friends with Alexander Fisher, I think. But anyway, he he well, liked the campaign and 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 played it stuff. And so, I, I, it's not a legacy game. It just has a campaign where you could play through a quote story um, to unlock different modules or locations on the board. Anyway, um, but I think um, the reason also that it might have been kind of touted as a campaign style euro game is that alexander fister seems to be on a design kick of just designing stories into euro games um he's been doing it for a while and continues to do it um, with his latest release of cloud age um but that's neither here or there back to maracaibo just general thoughts of the game i think I, so I really like the game, but I've played it a lot. So it, we <laughs> we played it 12 times, and I think I'd played it once or twice before that, uh, before I bought it, and we played through it. And I think the design is is good. I have fun playing the game, um, but I don't know if it's my favorite Fister. And, and having played it now 12 to 14 times, the... Um, Maybe I don't know if weak is the right word. Frustrating, maybe that <laughs> those aspects of the game kind of start to stick out more as you play it. But I, I do want to say up front that I think the the game's good, and if you play it, if you if you don't play it every week for four months, <laughs> you, you know you'll probably have you'll probably not um, get as irritated maybe as we did by some aspects of the game. Uh, but what what did, what did you think of the game, Riso? Yeah, it might have been just playing the same game over and over again, but also I think just in general the game has uh, kind of like it when you first play it. It looks like it has a lot of variability and options, uh, and this, the more you play it, my biggest problem was like it was a kind of interesting for the first like maybe four or five games where you're just like trying things out and see what works. And uh, in my opinion, you kind of discover that some things just don't work, and you stop doing them, and you the game becomes like a uh, just kind of like going through the very similar kind of strategies uh, overall like really yeah. uh, large scale strategies to get to like a winning score um, there are some mechanics in the game which in my opinion they're just like so weak that it, they just like don't work that was the joke with the exploring the jungle because that entire track um, is like the idea is there that is designed to be for people to like jump over each other and stuff there's mechanics for that uh, but the design of it it just kind of like 
that just doesn't happen. And it's usually kind of not worth going for that track really hard if you're going to give up some other opportunities. There's just like some things that basically are kind of weaker, I think, uh, yeah, if, you're, if you're going for high score. So I think like maybe uh, my opinion is that the game is designed for people that just like don't care so much about their scores and they just want to like have fun and play cool cards and like uh, go around the Caribbean. Because I think uh, with the hardcore gamer gamers that are us, we try to like optimize stuff and it kind of turns out that there's kind of some things just don't work that was my biggest problem yeah. kind of with it anyway and so yeah, just, to, just to kind of go through um what Risto was saying the the game as he as you mentioned it it does look like it's really variable right because these the cities where you drop off discs and do actions those change every time because there's certain um you know, number of tiles that you'll put into each game and they'll be in different locations. So maybe the order you do things in or what you can do each game is a little different. So maybe how you start to do things at the start of each game is a little different. Um, but ultimately we found that the way you play the game, if you're playing to win, seems to kind of follow the same path generally. And, and the way that the game played out is that you... Uh, you try to go around the rondelle as quickly as possible to to basically not allow other players time to just kind of lollygag and do whatever they want. I think we did lollygag one game and everybody's yep. score was like above 220 points. So like, and it was a long game too. So there's that. And then um, basically on the exploration track, you'll try to be the first one to hit a couple of spots. I think before the first bracket, which is like the first five to six spaces, there's a spot that gets you three coins. There's a spot that removes a disc. And then once you pass that first red line on this exploration track, you get to move one of your discs on the influence track um, for one of the nations up three spaces and then after that you kind of just ignore it unless your strategy is pushing more on that track um, and then you just try to fight a lot you try to get a lot of influence in you try to do it in all of the nations because the nation track at the end of the game scores by multiplication so being high on those tracks is really really essential to to doing well so basically if you ignore the nation tracks you will not do well it's probably worth about like 50 points in usually like a 150 point game so basically you're losing like a pretty good amount of points if you just ignore that yeah exactly exactly and i can actually tell you um from our 12 plays of the game the top score was 241 the highest losing score was 218 the average winning score is 187. The average score was 174. And uh, the lowest score we ever had was 128. So you can see that missing out on 40 to 60 points, which is usually what you'll get out of these tracks, can kind of kill your game. So basically you have to do those um those at least a little bit like not maybe super heavy, but you can right. like, not do it at all, I think. Right, which is which is fine. I think, and that that um that influence track kind of comes from Mombasa, and in Mombasa it works a little differently because like that's pretty much your whole game is going up influence in companies and having your 
cubes on the board. But here, the you know Maracaibo introduces a separate track that does not score by multiplication, but gets you incremental bonuses along the way, which I guess is supposed to help propel your game into maybe getting more cards and 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 whatever. Yeah. But ultimately, we didn't. We just never really were able to make the exploration track beat the uh, nation influence tracks which yeah. was and maybe that was never the design but it just seems weird that like a uh, whole part of the board is dedicated to it and there's these like mechanics around it and basically what's happening what happens usually is like uh, usually one or two people kind of commit to it and do it and the others kind of don't <laughs> they just stay at the beginning and just completely ignore it and that's fine sometimes um Actually, speaking of which, my uh, other kind of significant, so to speak, problem with the game is rushing. Uh, there's nothing to prevent you from rushing, and it takes one rushing person to kind of make all these like cool potential engine aspects of the game that are so promising not work at all uh, because if you're building a huge engine and you're relying on a lot of cars that are like engine elements and stuff it takes one person to rush to the ends to blow up your whole game and if they're like thinking with a rushing mindset and doing like rushing things which uh, benefit that strategy they will have an advantage for sure and that's kind of uh, uh, actually that was a concern in the great uh, in great western trail another game that's really good by alexander fisher uh the base game i think was leaning towards rushing significantly uh even though that th that game does have a mechanic to slow it down that's the thing with mark i there's nothing to slow you down you just can't prevent that from happening well uh, there are someone, someone decides are to do it tiles yeah yeah there well there's a random storm that comes <laughs> up which was part of the campaign which by the way doesn't happen in the base game like the base game is just the board never changes but the campaign sometimes reveals these storms which reduce your speed but like it's nowhere near the kind of mechanics which happen in uh, great western trail where yeah. there's these buildings yeah. which uh slow you down by making you uh significant slowdowns and uh, also i think you have to pay um to some of them make you pay as well to pass over them so basically those buildings are specifically designed to slow down rushing and they were actually weak enough to where in the base game i think the rushing usually kind of won so they powered them up significantly in the expansion i haven't played great western trail enough but i think that was kind of the meta is the rushing was a little too good in the base game so they made some changes to build buildings uh, he made some changes to buildings and the expansion where uh, rushing is not so good anymore but rushing is kind of a huge kind of problem in maracaibo because yeah we can you can have a longer game like trevor saying that game where everyone scored like over 200 however everyone but, everyone has to agree <laughs> yeah, to it and it takes exactly. one person to ruin everything and usually if that's the case then you can rely on it being ruined <laughs> because one <laughs> yeah. person's gonna just kind of yeah. say like screw it and start rushing and then it just devolves into everyone doing it as well exactly yeah literally the the last couple of games you know everybody would we'd sit down we'd start the game and we'd kind of look at each other and then the game would start and then you could <laughs> instantly you could, you could instantly see someone <laughs> blast seven spaces ahead like well okay this one yep. type of game this one's gonna be and so like i mean it it was kind of fun because you're like on your t the edge of your seat 
I mean, it's not a suspenseful, like, it just game makes you angry because like, you, yeah, you have to forfeit like, all these yeah. things which are never going to work. <laughs> yeah, so you're just, just like, anxious. You're, yeah, you're anxious the whole time about being able to do things. So in that in that sense, I guess it makes you engaged in the game or maybe you just hate it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just I like I said, I, I like the game. Um, but having played it so many times, we played the ca- the whole campaign through, and I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but the campaign, I was hoping it would make some more significant mechanical changes to the game, and it, it doesn't really do that. Uh, yeah. There's not, not a whole lot of significance that comes out of the campaign, and the story is fine. Uh, but yeah, um, ultimately, it, it's not super consequential. Yeah, exactly the same as Trevor. When I played the first few missions, uh, I was like, "Wow, this is actually an interesting system." I kind of wonder where it where it, where it goes from there. And the thing is, uh, kind of spoilers, it doesn't really go much further. It kind of just is more of the same. Um, I was hoping that like there's kind of a curve where the beginning of the game, the first few missions, kind of change the game slightly, and then uh the later like campaign events change it more and more and more and like towards the end is just kind of like this kind of some kind of madness or the game is kind of uh different like it's just different in some way there's something substantial uh i don't know people might disagree or whatever but i i to me it didn't deliver that kind of like wow this is like a whole different game now uh the biggest thing was one tile where uh it prevents this movement from the first two cities to the fighting space which is a very very common movement basically it's almost like scripted basically at the beginning of the board you are almost always two people are almost always doing that that jump and it disabled that jump which made the assistance and the jungle exploration slightly more uh interesting and then it disappeared two games later so it lasted i think it only for, was there for, one, for game. one game yeah this it lasted one game and i was like well back to normal i guess for the last yeah. three games or whatever but yeah uh the last mission was also hilarious because the end of the campaign i'm not going to spoil it but it was reliant on basically doing these kind of actions which were part of the weaker mechanics of the game in my opinion and, and how many of us decided to do that <laughs> yeah i was gonna say what happened is uh kind of very unfortunate but whatever i kind of rebelled against the entire design of the game and i started rushing anyway and uh trevor and his wife were actually solving these uh horrible actions which <laughs> kind of just kind of waste your time unfortunately just in the name of finishing the campaign by the way because yep. you have to do them to finish the campaign and they according to the rules reset every game so you can't you just like play multiple to games actually. to finish them yeah you you have to uh sorry what did you to say you, you have off? to do them to finish the campaign but you are not compelled to do them by the game yeah oh yeah yeah the game doesn't stop anyone there so you can totally just like rush and play a regular game and just whatever which is what i did and uh trevor and like i say his wife had to suffer through the uh <laughs> to, to finish the campaign <laughs> so it was almost like uh <laughs> almost like i don't know it's like a punishment for for playing You're... the game as a capstone achievement of of the last yeah. the last uh, campaign You're chapter welcome, we made it so we didn't have to play the game another time <laughs> yeah. no because i was like this is just hilarious like the game doesn't force you to finish it the campaign i mean so you can totally just never finish it if everyone tries to optimize i honestly think like it, you'll never 
finish the game because those actions are not good enough for people to take them over and over as much as the game expects you to and i think like if you play to win for points you'll just never finish a campaign that's honestly my opinion is like a optimizing euro gamer i guess you can say yeah. uh so i think ultimately like i say going back to who the game might be enjoyed by i think it might be enjoyed by people who don't really want to optimize as much as just to kind of have fun and play cool cards and uh not worry about their score too much unfortunately yeah. that's kind of my opinion well, because the, the game works and it's a good design, but not every portion of the board or every strategy is a viable path. You kind of have to do the main thing and some other stuff on the side to basically find ways to generate money is kind of the main thing so that you can buy cards and the prestige buildings at the end. Um, ultimately, I think I would like to see a significant expansion for this game and by significant i think it needs to change some core things about the board actually a good <laughs> thing might be a new board <laughs> yeah um, or actually an overlay for the jungle that's what i'm yeah. really hoping that they do like overlay to the with north. The, yeah and like replacement for cards where it kind of connects the jungle to the rest of the game because i think the jungle is just not connected to the rest of the game enough it's just very yeah. disconnected if it feels like a linear track and it's not that much fun i think that part of the game has promise yeah i i would like to see that um I think an expansion that blows up the exploration side of the board and adds cards specifically for that strategy would, would go a long way. And then I do think that the there needs to be some way to influence other players' movement, I think. Yeah. Slow them down or something or make yeah. them pay to play, pay, uh, move over people. Uh, that yeah. Which is exactly, of... that's exactly what Great Western Trail has is, is ta yeah. you know, toll booths. Yep. And the thing is, they're player controlled as well. So, like, I was just thinking, like, you place assistance, which is basically the buildings in this game, but they don't slow you down. So, they are just there, kind of, which is weird. But anyway, that's kind of fundamentally changing the game. What I wanted to mention is, you, there is actually an expansion, which Trevor got for the game, which is really funny because the expansion is basically powering up even more the tracks of yeah. the military tracks. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's already like a ridiculously strong part of the game and like powering them up up even more seems just ridiculously unnecessary and uh yeah, yeah trevor went for that strategy and won one game because he got all the freaking cards which are like fight for this nation and get the ridiculous benefits yeah. for doing it and it's just like Rrr. but yeah the, the i feel like that expansion was just kind of unnecessary i don't know why it's there uh from like a game design perspective i mean it's fun to have like more focus on the military part if you enjoy that but like that part of the game is already really strong and everyone does it anyway like that's not part of the, the the part of the game that needs like changing or messing with in my opinion but i don't know yeah yeah, it's it's a mini expansion called the Armada, I think is what it was. And it basically just added a bunch of um kind of boat cards that like Chris just said, nation boost, specific, boost, yeah. I think, and yeah, more exactly. focused on the military tracks. And so I basically uh became France for a game. <laughs> uh I just happened to get all the cards that that worked for France. So anyway, that's that's Maracaibo. Um I don't know if you ultimately ended up liking the game. I I think 
I will still play it, but I need to take a break from it for a while. I, I, it's a good yeah. game. It's just I think it needs it needs an, a, a a good expansion. I think to make it uh, more interesting. Um, unfortunately, I'd say that yeah, if you want to play it, I'll I'll like if someone wants to play it, I'll be happy to join in if there's nothing else available. But from Fister, I'd rather play like if you if I had a choice between Markaibo and Blackout or Markaibo and Great Western Trail, I definitely or even Mombasa, I'd definitely pick the other three like without even thinking about it. Yeah, the, the Markaibo is just kind of it's kind of too straightforward in a way, and there's too many things which are cool ideas, but they just kind of don't work for me so uh i don't know some someone might have fun with it someone might have fun with the campaign and the way it develops i think it was just took kind of too much of the same for me as the my overall opinion of the game yeah it's an interesting example where um the what's the I, well i just blanked on the saying something about the the sum of the parts is greater than I, the whole or something like that. But it's, it's basically a bunch of parts from a bunch of his other games that come together to make something that, in my opinion, is not greater than the uh, other games. <laughs> not great, um, greater than Great Western Trail. It's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think, I, I think you're right. I think um, my preferences are still I prefer his other games over this one. Uh but I still think this one's just a, it's a fine game. I, I don't know that I'd ever say no to it if somebody really wanted to play it. Um, but I'm, I'm waiting for an expansion to dive back in. And that is, uh, that's Maracaibo. We took a long time talking about that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just cause like we played it for 14 times and we've been playing it since like three months ago, four months ago, actually five months ago. Kinda yeah. I crazy. think we started it in December of 2020. Yep. So anyway, that was almost like kind of a deep dive into Maracaibo. Uh, so actually, I'll just mention um, uh, really simple games that we played uh, recently. Uh, trick-taking games. Uh, Zing, Slough Off, or Wizard Extreme. Uh, the funny thing is for um, the the game has three different names, by the way. So Zing, Slough Off, and Wizard Extreme are the same game. And the uh, what I wanted to mention about that is uh, it sounds like really extreme when you say wizard extreme. And I think uh, wizard might be more extreme than wizard extreme. Uh, that's what we we're kind of like talking with Brandon and laughing about it because uh, we played it now like three or four times. I basically am a slough off expert. Uh, what is What it is is a game I talked about uh, looking forward to a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's a trick-taking game where you are drafting kind of these tokens, basically kind of betting on how many tricks you're going to take. And there's a sluffer token where someone is rewarded on people basically screwing up, taking tricks that they don't expect to take. So they're kind of just trying to throw wrenches into the game and uh, kind of ruin the game. Uh, but I think it's actually kind of a slightly on the boring side of trick-taking games. Uh but we were just talking about it with Brandon a couple of days ago, actually, or last week. I think we kind of like that about it because we've played a lot of kind of unpredictable trick-taking games lately and just a little, kind of a little on the crazy side. So it's kind of good to go back to something that's more kind of under control and uh, relatively more predictable, uh, even though... Uh, we're not by any means like slough-off experts after four or five games or whatever but uh 
the first game we played, uh, the sloughter actually seemed like it was a really bad idea because everyone was getting their goals almost perfectly or they would kind of underestimate stuff. Uh, but the latest games that we've played of it have been kind of pretty crazy, actually. Uh, some really bad like predictions by people. And I don't know if it's the, the, diff the people that we're playing with. Uh, maybe that's the difference. But it kind of turned into the, everyone almost kind of wants to be the sloughter now because you can kind of rely on people kind of screwing up their predictions about tricks uh the trumps are definitely a huge wrench into like you think you're taking a trick but somebody trumps it so that's usually how it happens but overall a kind of really cool game um it's harder to find nowadays i think it's still on uh like amazon or something i don't know if it's being published anymore they're selling the last few copies of it uh simple trick taking game if you like kind of more predictable and sort of traditional trick taking games um i'd uh, i'd get it yeah approved <laughs> so that's uh zing slafa for wizard extreme <laughs> which is not so extreme um but yeah yep that's it Oh, Trevor, did you ever play this game? I don't know if you played this game at all. I don't think so. I think you yeah. guys play this on Thursdays when I'm not there. Yeah. Um, Trevor has basically rebelled against our trick-taking bonanza, <laughs> so we're keeping it to Thursday for now, I guess. Yeah, actually, you guys, you actually brought me around on Tournament at Camelot. Because <laughs> I, <guess, laughs> I really hated that game the first time we played it, and then the next time we played it, uh, I thought it was just funny, but I don't know. I, I like I said on one of our previous episodes. I just need to search within and and yep. change my uh, my my attitude towards trick taking games. And I tried it out with Tournament Camelot again and had fun. So yep. Uh, but uh, since on. you ha since you haven't played it, no opinion. I guess no opinion. <laughs> we'll, I'll, we'll I'll reserve judgment. <laughs> yep. Do you yeah. Have other no, stuff? Uh, yeah, I've got uh, one more game. I just wanted to quickly bring up some first impressions about a game called Venice uh, ah. because I don't I don't know when we're going to get to play it again <laughs> just because it took us so long to get it to the table. And uh, we finally played Venice, which is a game designed by David Turtsey and Andre Novak. I heard someone say Novach is his name. Uh, I think it's Novak, actually. So Yeah, whatever. Novak. So Andre Novak and David Turtsey. This is published by Brain Crack Games. It's the second in the trilogy of uh, Ragusa, then Venice, and now Florence, which is on Kickstarter currently. Uh, but anyway, Venice is... Um, at its core, it's kind of a pick up and deliver with a bunch of slap game. Uh, so, <laughs> it's <about to> slap. <laughs> yeah, it's like basically think of like gondoliers sailing around on their gon gondolas in Venice with like giant rubber, like giant uh, boxing gloves on, and as you pass each other, you just kind of deck each other in the face <laughs> which is is kind of is kind of the theme of the game um i actually really liked the game with a huge caveat that like you just have to know or go in if you if you read the rules you know this game is going to come with a slap probably later game 
because the way it works is you sail around at these buildings and put out your assistants who then um, can be upgraded in these buildings as more people stop at them or if you stop at them repeatedly because you're moving your assistants up in one of four quadrants on these buildings. And it basically just kind of becomes more explosive as the game progresses because when your assistant gets to like the top of a building, Whenever you activate that assistant, um, either by passing the assistant's building or by stopping at that building, the assistant activates its current space and every space before it. Um, so it's it it gets quite combo tastic <laughs> towards the end of it. And the funny thing about this game is it's a Euro game with player elimination, but strictly one player and maybe it won't happen <laughs> because uh, throughout the game, you're gaining intrigue, which is, I guess, uh, I mean, the theme of the game is you're a merchant in Venice trying to go around and build your business up. And if you uh, cause too much trouble or gain too much attention, then the Venetian Inquisition will arrest you and uh, impale you on a stick or something like that. Um, so you're sailing boats around Venice, and when you pass other players, you kind of have a choice to like spend scrolls um, or gain intrigue. And if you max your intrigue track out, then every time you gain intrigue, you just start losing points. And then at the end of the game, whoever has the most intrigue gets arrested and is eliminated and does not count their score. So you kind of, it's really kind of uh, just a loan mechanic where intrigue is your currency kind of, and you just try to yeah. uh, use it wisely throughout uh, the game. What did you think of it? No, I was going to say, speaking of intrigue, actually, you say it's like that, but it really is kind of a long mechanic because there's actually two ways to reduce intrigue before you're eliminated. And the entire game is uh, basically open information, almost the entire game. I guess these like there's these influence cards, which are secret. But other than that, it's pretty much open information. So you can kind of see exactly how much intrigue people have and basically kind of based on that, make the decision of uh, how are you going to deal with it. In our game, everyone had zero intrigue. I'd actually be kind of amazed if someone got basically eliminated. Maybe they would if they just like didn't care um, and they were going to lose anyway and they're just trying to do something desperate. I just like can't see anyone really kind of being eliminated because everyone would probably try to reduce theirs to zero by the end of the game because it's all visible and it's very obvious how much people have and it's not like a point penalty which sometimes is acceptable like in Lords of Waterdeep it's like an elimination so I think generally you'd like to you'd probably make it zero or try to make it zero to begin with but yeah that's that's my comment about intrigue so it's not like uh, you can't fix it you, you can fix it with basically coins or scrolls at the end of the game right before Oh, uh, general impressions of yeah. the game, actually. Yeah, and there's, there's uh, kind of two, I guess... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say general impressions of the game. It seems like uh, it actually started kind of normal, and I was like, wow, this is interesting. And then, like, towards the end of the game, uh, I read some previews previously, actually, and I was kind of curious, like, what are these people thinking? But I understand what they're thinking now. People are saying, like, the game breaks down, it's just ridiculous, like, there's just too much stuff going on. And, yeah, it kind of turns into, like, uh, you move your boat seven spaces and every space activates, or you have a meeting with people and uh, you're just your turn and going through the process of, like, pulling all the cubes and arranging everything just kind of takes a while um towards the end of the game a little crazy uh so 
yeah yeah it's the field felt very like kind of unhinged dungeon building where like trevor saying uh, combotastic is a very good way to put it because the some of the things you can do towards the end of the game is just like ridiculous uh you kind of stop caring about cubes just to pump points at least that was what was happening with me uh you can feed intrigue to other people maybe multiple times per turn if you pass by multiple buildings there's just like it kind of gets a little crazy and out of hand uh which i'm actually really surprised because uh, the other games by this designer are very kind of under control so this one i was like what the heck is this is just like so kind of crazy and kind of unhinged in comparison with his other games but i guess um that's what it is so yeah that's kind of my impression is just kind of a little a little bit crazy there's nothing absolutely nothing wrong with the <laughs> yeah. design there's nothing wrong with the design mechanically everything works it's just kind of like wow that just feels kind of broken and weird in a way but also i mean it kind of doesn't so kind of a weird feeling of just madness or something <laughs> so yeah that's kind of my impressions from yeah from it's, an, it's an interesting feeling where the game starts off pretty like normal pretty, kind yeah of normal. pretty normal right <laughs> yeah. and it, it's pick up and deliver because what you're trying to do is pick these cubes up and then drop them off at a specific building to complete these missions which give you points and money um but as the game progresses like nothing resets so everything just becomes more powerful and then you might build these bridges that allow you to travel for free but if it's not your bridge you're gaining more intrigue so it's kind of you kind of have to end the game to save it from itself <laughs> kind yeah. of kind of thing it actually reminds me kind of of council of four as well oh speaking of which uh we were talking about it and the the interactions in the game like pushing each other up remind me of Kali Mala which is in the same line but definitely not the same designer I think uh, the cheese of like running things through multiple times and trying to pump huge amount of points by running conversions multiple times that reminds me of Toa um, gosh what was I gonna say oh yeah the the explosions of uh, just engine reminds me of council of four actually which is another game where the game just kind of explodes the more you go um, so just yeah there's nothing really to slow the game down at all uh, everything is oriented towards doing more and more and more and more and more and the game just eventually kind of ends yeah, and but you do ha have a moral responsibility, and the, as the other players, um, to you kind of want the game to end before you allow other players to kind of just spam their engines as much as they want to. And so there's two ways for the game end to be triggered: you either move up on this master council uh, track to a certain point, or you draw the final mission card from the stack of mission cards and then that triggers the final two rounds of the game um and so if somebody's got a ridiculous path that, they, that they've somehow been able to set up in the game and you haven't set up toll boosts with the bridges to make them gain intrigue for it then you really just have to try to end the game as quickly as you can and hope that they don't pass you in points um which which can be difficult but I, I found the I found the process of playing this game to be fun, and I I think I I don't know what they were thinking by making this up to five players <laughs> because <laughs> we we played a three player game and it felt pretty crowded. 
Um, yeah. At a five-player game, I just I could see somebody getting eliminated in a fire five-player game for sure, um, because there would just be so much intrigue, and you'd probably yep. be losing a lot more points. And so um, maybe maybe it's the chaos was like the the player elimination mechanism was conceived in that chaos um, to to like disincentivize somebody from spamming everything too hard, but in a three-player game, um, it felt manageable. Yep. No, I was actually one of the one of the reviews which uh, Trevor actually had the idea to initially play the game with five, and I was like, <laughs> let's try it uh, because I read the review that some people like played for four hours and they were not done with the game, and I was like, wow, there's probably something wrong with these people or something. You know, they're just playing like really <laughs> slow or something, which sometimes happen happens on BGG is like somebody plays like some horrible game with some slow person. I mean, like taking turns really slowly and the game just drags on forever and they post a negative review about it because it took like three hours uh but no i can totally believe that with the amount of just kind of fiddliness and the way the game is designed and the steps you have to go through i can totally believe that a four uh, five player game will might take like four hours or something which is just insane and unfortunate but that's kind of the way it is yeah also i guess i should mention like people complaining about production things it's real yeah the boats are kind of large and the meeples are kind of large and they obscure icons on buildings uh not a huge deal but quite annoying i have to say so i wish the game had like a better solution for the way it's supposed to work than what it is right now yeah the so, board does kind get of really cluttered and in a five-player game, could you imagine? <laughs> yep, five boats next to each other. Yeah, they're basically, the board is just not good enough. There's some, like, the board should have been, like, twice larger, I feel, uh, to accommodate the game comfortably. So you're kind of, like, pushing a lot of meeples next to each other. And, yeah, that's it's just, yeah, that's kind of a three-player game, I'd say four, maybe, yeah. if you're, if you're I, brave. I would agree. I think three, it's basically a three-player game because I don't think two would be as good three is a what i felt like three was a good balance four would be like teetering on on unhinged completely and five would just be utter chaos yeah but very interesting system anyway kind of very kind of unique game uh very very player driven like kalimala basically the players create the game so you might kind of by the your choices of where you put meeples and whatever and where you put bridges you might create a completely different game next time and yeah you're pumping the same actions but the order in which you do it and the order in which the game develops i think is going to make it kind of unique every time yeah so ultimately my my first impressions of the game after one play is that i i think it's really cool the mechanics are sound the game is a good design but it is weird so yep. um just be prepared for that yep completely agree i would be possibly interested in playing a game like with like the i don't know uh <laughs> some expectations i guess of now i know what i'm in for so yep yep so that's venice um i just wanted to mention about star wars unlock that uh we played all three and uh for some reason brandon wasn't very excited about it I actually like unlocks quite a bit i don't know why he wasn't excited about it uh, i think he wasn't actually excited about it because the first one was like insultingly uh easy uh i think again they're trying to go for 
just kind of like a very uh, uh, easy to grok kind of a game to introduce you to unlocks possibly. So basically all the puzzles were just like instant solution. You exactly know what the solution is and you're just kind of going through the cards basically and that was the first unlock. Uh, however, the second one was uh, kind of, uh, well, they get more complex as they go uh, through the three games in the Star Wars unlock box. Uh, the second one was actually, I thought it had some really cool stuff and I really liked the third one actually. The third one had some really uh, neat puzzles. Um, I kind of really enjoyed it. Uh, there was one, there's usually like kind of a uh, cheesy puzzle in the unlock games and unfortunately in that one we knew exactly what the solution was we just kind of didn't want know how to like input in input it into like a f basically the phone app uh but anyway basically we knew what the solution was and we we're just like what the heck why is this not working but uh, spoilers, I'm not going to say anything about it, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, so if you played just the first one and you gave up on the other two, I think they're worth looking at. And in general, I think the box is worth getting if you like Star Wars, even though kind of it does follow a lot of the movie themes and basically kind of replaying some of the old movies. Uh, but it's kind of really fun, um, especially, I'd say, second and third one. So, I mean, you shouldn't skip the first one. Just don't be, like, the, the, the not dissuaded, but what's the word, like, deterred by how easy it is. The other two will get better. So that's what Star Wars Unlock was. On a scale of 1 to 10, how replayable is it? Uh, replayable, pretty much zero. However, <laughs> I've been surprised recently. I sat through an exit game where I played it like six months ago and I did not remember some of the solutions instantly. It took me like a couple of minutes to kind of remember. So maybe, maybe Brandon's right. Maybe you will forget all these games in five years and you can actually keep them on your shelf and pull them out in five years and like try to remember the solutions to the puzzles. <laughs> so you're telling me unlocks are a long-term investment. Yep, they're definitely <laughs> very, very long-term. Uh, no, actually there should be almost like a swap specifically for unlocks because um, I feel like they should be played once and like swapped for other unlocks so you know like everyone experiences all unlocks like a rotation system <laughs> that's what yeah. should be happening in theory because uh, you, yeah, you kind of don't want to replay unlocks once you play them Yeah, I would get in on that because I, I'm sort of late to the show uh, and haven't played many unlocks I think I've only played maybe unlocks once and I've played a couple of exits but not many um, so yeah, that that actually sounds pretty appealing to me. I'd I'd do something like that. Yep, unlocks are cool. I like them. I like Exits more, but unlocks are still like a really solid game design in general. So. Yeah, I I just like the concept of a puzzle with, that's sort of an escape puzzle that has a, a story to it. It's just kind of cool. I like that yeah. that concept in general. Yep. All right, well, that's our games played. Uh, let's jump into our three good cooperative games. Number three. Uh, so my number three is 
flatline or fuse. Actually, the funny thing is it's not really flatline. I just know flatline is a fuse implementation and I was actually interested in playing it and I even had it um, in a place where we play board games, but I didn't play it. Uh, fuse really is a game that I've played multiple times. Um, I think it's really fun. Uh, it's a real-time game, and I think that's kind of basically the unique thing about it. Uh, very, very simple game as well, if you get the Fuse version of it. Uh, Flatline is basically Fuse as a mini-game into a larger game. So I think basically what Flatline is, from the sound of it, is you're taking breaks in in between rounds to play fuse is an input to the larger game uh what is fuse you're trying to defuse bombs um the bombs are exploding thematically on some kind of a spaceship or that i can't even remember where but there's bombs okay <laughs> so <laughs> okay. there's bombs and it. you have like four of them or whatever or three in front of you and you try to solve them you're rolling dice uh from a bag uh i think together or you pass a bag between people and you roll dice so everything's real time and you actually have 10 minutes to solve the game so it's exactly 10 minutes like that's a game where you can perfectly time the playing time on board game geek because it's exactly 10 minutes <laughs> you can't <laughs> it's a timed game uh it could be lower i guess if you're doing really well and if you win uh, but what you're trying to do is just solve as many bombs as possible. You're trying to roll dice and match them with cards. And that's kind of the game. Um, it's very frantic, very chaotic, uh, really kind of interesting, though. You should kind of look at your person that you're playing with, uh, like the people that you're playing with. So it's not like solo. You might think it's like, oh, I just get the dice I need. Uh, but you should kind of like it's a very weird game because you should look at the dice and make a very quick decision. But you should also be considering what other people need because you end up like really messing them over if you take the die that's the only die that fits them and then like you blow up there's a mechanic where if you can't place a die you're uh you're screwed but the cards have like just simple conditions on them uh so you just try to place dice as fast as possible and solve as many cards as possible by placing all dice on them according to the conditions like some of them might accept a particular color some of them might accept value some of them you're building these little like pyramids on them according to colors and they have different difficulty and anyway it's just kind of frantic fun for 10 minutes uh, there's not many real-time games out there uh, that are co-op as well. A lot of the real-time games are kind of like fast slap card games. Um, this one is kind of real-time dice rolling, which I think is really cool. And I really like it. Um, so that is Fuse. And someday I will also get to play Flatline. And maybe if I like it, I'll, I'll get it. I kind of want to try it first. Just because I'm, I'm actually concerned that like the simplicity of Fuse, which I really enjoy, might be lost in the larger game. And I kind of don't want to play the game that's not Fuse. So that's what I want to try is uh, to see if... Uh, it's like the game outside the fuse game is good because i like the fuse game i'm just not sure what they built around it uh by the way thematically flatline is actually like uh it doesn't even say re-implemented by because it's literally like a sequel or something uh you're actually uh saving or healing the people who are injured by the bomb explosion in fuse so that's why it's called flatline and it's like a medical theme i think the people are arriving and you're trying to like treat them as fast as possible or uh, basically it's like an emergency situation where all the people that have been injured in the explosion are arriving and they're being treated so that's that's flatline and fuse um 
I don't know if you've even played Fuse at all. I have ever. not. I think I thought this was the um, that one space game we played that one time. Uh, with the programming. Space Alert? Space Alert, yeah. 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 No, it's um, much that, more it's simple. That. Yeah, it's much more simple than Space Alert. Kind of very similar, well, not really vibe. You're not programming anything. But yeah, yeah, it's really simple. Maybe I should just bring it just to for, to experience it for, uh, one time because it's literally like a 10-minute commitment, so it's very easy to get into. How do you know it's just 10 minutes? Uh, yeah, well, actually, it's <laughs> uh, that's kind of cheating because yeah. I guess the rules take another probably like five minutes to explain. The rules are definitely not complicated, but there are some rules, so I guess you can add five minutes for rules and setup. Oh, false advertising. Yep. Uh, speaking of games with a lot of bombs and explosions, my number three is Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth. Um, this is s- sort of a re-implementation or an iteration on the system that was used for uh, Mansions of Madness. And uh, basically what the game is, is kind of an exploration um mystery type puzzle solving narrative driven game where you fight some baddies sometimes or you sneak past some baddies sometimes it's it's uh basically just like playing a story in the world of uh lord of the rings which is um really appealing to me and probably a lot of other people i imagine um but basically what I like about it a lot is um, that it takes away all the dice that were in uh, in uh, Mansions of Madness and changes skill test to a card-based system. So basically what you do is you, you pick a character and the game comes with specific card sets that are assigned to each character. So each character really is unique from other characters and their cards do um, different things and so you have this deck of cards that is kind of multi-purpose where um, you can kind of prepare these cards to for the effect that's uh, printed on the card to you know use the card during a skill test at some point during the game or you use the cards during combat or to uh, basically do any number of things. Basically, your cards are just your currency to do a skill test rather than rolling dice. So you can, over the course of the game, you're upgrading your character and getting new cards. You can kind of build your character to be more successful at doing certain things. Um, and you can get weapons and items and things. And so it kind of has a semi-RPG aspect to it, which I think is fun. Um, but a, a, a neat aspect of this game as well is that it, it has a companion app that helps you manage all of kind of fiddly things and it has some music and and some voice narration at some at some points and the game is just kind of cool it has two general um map types uh, some some scenarios you're going to be playing oh it's a campaign game i forgot to mention that but some some games you'll you'll be playing more of an exploration game and solving puzzles and another game you might be trying to play um a a more fighting scenario but 
sometimes the fighting scenario is more about positioning and timing than it is about just going in and smashing orc faces. So I, I think it's a, a cool system. I've enjoyed playing it. Um, I don't even... Have you played Mansions of Madness? And you probably haven't played this one. No, not yet, even though I'm interested because I really like the idea of kind of exploration that really appeals to me and kind of scenarios and stuff. What doesn't appeal to me in Mansions of Madness is, first of all, the theme. I'm not huge into like Cthulhu stuff, to be honest. And the other thing that doesn't super appeal to me is the dice. So actually, that sounds kind of really good, um, even though I'm not a fan of that. Basically, get, get me like a sci-fi game of that kind. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, probably, <laughs> I'll probably be a much more interested. But uh, the system itself, I've heard really good things about it. Basically, it's kind of like, uh, gosh, what were you we talking about? That game with the haunt at the end. Uh, uh, betrayal. Betrayal. Yeah, it's kind of like betrayal concept, but actually good with like control and character development and actually like good yeah. fighting so that sounds really interesting to me i used to be kind of less excited about those kind of games but just because i've heard so many good things i should probably give them a try um but yeah yeah no i, I in theory it sounds really good so if you ever play a game like that i would be interested yeah yep yeah well we'll uh the, the fun thing is you can actually have multiple campaigns saved because it's just like saving a game in the app. So you can actually have simultaneous campaigns running. Um, yeah. So if you're interested, we could, uh, we could play it with you sometime. Um, but anyway, that's, uh, that's one of the games on my list of three good cooperative games, Lord of the Rings journeys in middle. Number two, uh, Actually, I'm second-guessing uh, my assignment here for the, my number two game because the reviews have fallen, I think, since last I looked at this game last. And uh, also, <laughs> the weight is ridiculously low. But I don't know. For some reason, I've had the desire to like play this game lately again. And the game is Okie Dokie. Uh, it's literally spelled O-K-E-Y, <laughs> D-O-K-E-Y. So, Okie Dokie. Came out in 2016. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, Hisashi It's a Japanese designer. He's designed some, like, games of varying, kind of from very light games to, like, Yokohama, which I consider kind of a heavier game. Uh, just kind of all over the place. This is one of the lighter games that he's designed. Uh, definitely one of the lighter games that he's designed. Uh, it's a very kind of simple play cards in sequence game with cards with numbers in sequence game uh reminds me actually kind of of the game and the mind uh which we've actually recently played um which i actually enjoy kind of less than okie dokie i think okie dokie actually was a pretty cool game and a neat system what you're trying to do is basically thematically um, I think the animals are having like a concert or something and you're trying to arrange the the parts of the orchestra in order so they can have their concert. <laughs> kind of like a children's theme and whatever and people like in reviews I'm looking and people are saying like uh, I like playing with children or whatever my kids love this but I think it's actually a really cool kind of light relaxing game for anyone really um, I also question the best with two thing because I think the game might be kind of too easy with two because you can talk uncertainly about cards and with two I think it might be a little too much control over the game might be too straightforward I think it gets more difficult with more people where the 
cards are spread between more people because then the miscommunications can be uh, more significant and they can impact the game. But the game is just really simple. Basically, you have to play one card column by column and they have to be ascending and that's literally the whole game uh so there's some slight rules about things you can play zeros so you actually have to play a zero every time to kind of reset the numbers so the question is when do you reset and that's where you can kind of talk about cards and kind of plan things uh very 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 similar vibe to like i say the game and the mind but for some reason well whereas a lot of people for some reason the mind had like an unexplained explosion of everyone's like oh my gosh this is the best thing ever um okie dokie and the game did not have as much of an explosion and i think they're just as good if not like better if you enjoy like a game around uh playing the numbered cards as opposed to like just like the passage of time or whatever oh speaking of which uh, recently uh this uh, side side mention a very similar theme as well i played on board game arena they've implemented a game called tranquility which is kind of almost the same game as okidoki i feel but slightly different again you're trying to play cards in sequence from 1 to 80 they have to be like ascending and you have to pay cards if you play a number next to another number that's like kind of too far from the other number so very very simple game i also enjoyed that one actually i've played on like i say board game arena uh co-op game as well um, i really kind of enjoy a lot of these play cards in ascending or descending order kind of games uh maybe people think they're like uh too light or just kind of like who cares but i enjoy kind of the relaxing kind of co-op nature of them so that's okie dokie with some other mentions i guess i'm pretty sure trevor has not played okie dokie at all actually did you ever play the mind i think you played the mind at least so you know at least what i'm talking about there right i don't i don't think i've played the mind actually oh my gosh that's crazy um, you've never played any of these I've like rising numbers kind of <laughs> games at all uh, I can't think of any in particular. Huh, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, well, there's a whole genre me to out play there. Okie dokie, you know what I'd say? <laughs> well, let me guess. Okie dokie. <laughs> Okie dokie. <laughs> No, there's a there's an entire genre out there, and I guess you have played at least one one of those games because Hanabi is one of those games, kind of a very different oh, game from one yeah, of those yeah, games. Yeah. But yeah, there's a whole genre out there of like co-op games where you have to play cards in ascending or descending order or some kind of order. Uh, like I say, the game, the mind, Doki Doki, Tranquility. There's probably some other ones that I can't think of, uh, but I I enjoy them. Um, I think they're fun. So yep. That's no, about I, it. I really like um, Hanabi, so if it's sort of in that same vein, I'd, I'd be up to try it. All right, hear me out on this next one. My next uh, good cooperative game I want to talk about is In the Hall of the Mountain King. That's a cooperative which, game? What? Which kidding. is not a cooperative game. <laughs> <laughs> I just really want to talk about it, that's all. Uh, no, actually, so uh, Hristo and I lately have played this a couple of times because there is a variant that allows you to play this cooperatively. And it sounds strange because the game is designed as a competitive game where you're trying to dig holes in the mountain, uncover these uh, statues, put them in 
deeper so that they score more points and then build like great halls and things to just get more points than your competitors. Um, but the competitive game changes it into this really, I think, cool puzzle of trying to solve trying to solve the problems or basically just like get these statues to certain positions in the in the mountain before the game ends or before the game destroys you. Um, so each round, uh, there will be this, was it a curse card? Yeah, yeah, curses, yep. Yeah, so there's a curse that adds a bad effect to the game, um, and you, there's one card flipped every round. So you're always trying to do some damage control and deal with these things that make it more difficult to do the actions in the game. And then um, as you build your uh, troll smoot, uh, or whatever they call it, uh, the pyramid of of, yeah, of dwarves. Yeah, it's yeah. a term for a group of trolls. I think uh, it, Justine told me about it. Yeah, so you're building this pyramid of of trolls in front of you, which is the really I think cool resource um, generation me- mechanism in the game, where when you place a dwarf or sorry a troll in front of you, um, it produces the resources that are shown on that card plus every card that falls below the, it, the, its waterfall, kind of in a pyramid shape. Um, and when as you build your troll smooth out, you also get these earthquakes that destroy and 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 cause your tunnels to cave in, which obviously sets you back from being able to move these statues to where you need them. And so you're and you have a shared resource pool plus the individual resources that are on your trolls. And so it's this really interesting puzzle of, well, how do we optimize the play between the two of us? to where we can make this happen, deal with these curses and, and hopefully not be destroyed utterly by these, uh, these, these earthquakes. And I just thought that the puzzle was really cool. I was a little apprehensive and thought, Oh, well, I don't know if you can really take a competitive game and make it an awesome cooperative game, but I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, there are people are complaining that th- there's a lot of luck in it, and I mean the game, the base game itself has some luck with like the spells that are available and the workshops that are available to you on your turn. So I don't think uh, I don't think the luck really bothers me. I think it's kind of interesting. And yeah, the last game we played, we kind of got wrecked by some really unlucky things. It really sucks when you're about to recruit to get a curse that like. Well, you have to pay two extra coins to recruit, so basically you can't recruit. Uh, but that's just kind of part of co-op games, I think. Um, I guess they could have done something to like give you a preview of what's coming, so it's not a complete surprise. But I think it's fine as is. Um, I don't think uh, the co-op variant is actually a focus for in the Hall of the Mountain King. I think it's probably a better multiplayer game. Yeah, but I since agree. we had two players, I think uh, I think it's probably better also with three or three or four or five. Actually, it goes up to five. Uh, with with two players, we want I wanted to play the co-op variant rather. And yeah, actually, a lot of people agree with me. I see it here that uh, a lot of people are playing with like solo or two player. Actually, just as a as kind of a puzzle to kind of figure out if you can uh, solve it. And uh, one thing actually that Matt was saying that he enjoyed uh, in these kind of games is like a meta game around people selecting the same thing over and over. 
Uh, basically, it has an expansion where you can have asymmetric powers for the in, in the Hall of the Mountain King, and uh, you, you reveal a number of cards, and the one that's not picked gets extra resources or whatever added to it, like the next time you play the game. So the game kind of self-balances itself in a weird way. And this, exp- this co-op game has the same thing where if you win, you get the downside. Basically, you get uh, kind of like you start with fewer resources or whatever, and you choose what that is. Uh, and if you and if you lose, the game kind of helps you. And if you win again, you can forfeit the help. So basically, it has this kind of like self-balancing thing where if the game's too easy, then you start with like extra stuff or some kind of benefit. And I think that's a really cool idea, actually speaking of kind of like a cheap way to make some kind of a campaign or legacy game is just to do that, like uh, kind of have your game evolve. Um, as as you're playing it and i feel like that's a cool thing that you can do to kind of uh not even replace or maybe even replace the auctions that people try to do with uh games like barrage or lorenzo magnifico or whatever where if someone constantly picks some character that's maybe too powerful and basically just put some kind of penalty on it like built into the game box uh, very cool idea so that's one thing that's unique about this i think yeah, I think the design's good. Obviously, I I agree. I think the competitive game is the way to play the game. But um, I put it on this list because I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it as a as a cooperative game. Yeah. Uh, the other weird thing, it sold separately, so they made this like tiny box that's like ten bucks with uh, two punch boards and ten cards in it and some tokens, which is really strange. I don't know why they just didn't put it in the main game, but whatever. So it's technically called Cursed Mountain, and it comes in a little separate box. So if you have in the whole the mountain king, you have to buy this separate little box of cards. And yep. Yep. So that's in the whole the mountain king. Number one. Yeah, my number one is uh, I've kind of went really light with this list uh, because I put my heavier games on my other list, which we had an episode a few months ago. Uh, But this is the more gamey game, I guess, on the list. And the game is called Fuji. Uh, This is a very strange game in many ways. Uh, First of all, the concept of it is really strange. Uh, Second of all is... uh, the theme of it is really strange. Basically, Fuji is uh, about the volcano or the mount, I guess. Mount Fuji now used to be a volcano which erupted, I don't know how recently, but you're running away from the erupting volcano um, along these kind of tiles and you're like running thematically as the volcano is covering everything behind you with lava and the entire game is just making it to the end <laughs> where you've escaped the volcano's lava and you've won the game so the the entire game is just running from a volcano which is pretty funny uh the the weird thing about it is the theme kind of doesn't translate very well to the mechanics of the game because the mechanics of the game are this weird like avoidance game where you're rolling dice behind the shield so no one can see what you've rolled um, but and you you're trying to make it to a different tile, and the me- the mechanism whereby you make it to a different tile is to have a specific like kind of recipe of dice. So, for example, have like a five and a pink die or something. Um, and there's this clashing mechanic there where. Um, I think if you have the same dice as the person next to you, so you care about what the 
person to your left and to your right have, you clash with them. So I think you get some kind of a penalty or your dice gets the, get disabled and you might not even be able to move and it's really bad. So basically you're trying to like roll these dice behind the shield and you're kind of communicating. But again, there's rules for communication where you can't communicate like super clearly. So I think actually the communication is like, I want to move to this card. And by people looking at the card, they can kind of figure out the recipe that you've rolled behind your shield and kind of like considering their dice try to not clash with you. And uh, basically you're like, and then you ultimately reveal and hopefully no one clashes with each other too much and they can actually move to where they wanted to move. Um, and then the lava just like progresses. So the, that, the entire game is trying to not clash with people by rolling the same stuff behind the shield <laughs> with limited communication. So we were just kind of joking uh, when we were playing the game about the theme is like the lava is like rushing in behind us and like the volcano is exploding and we're just like uh, sitting there and like talking about like, oh, like, I don't know if I should move there and like, yeah, I might block you if you move there and like, <laughs> it's just like this like weird, like, like it doesn't make any sense because the game doesn't feel like you're running at all. It feels like you're carefully planning to like stay not step on each other's toes or something <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense whatsoever but i think the game is like really unique and really cool and uh yeah they had it actually at SaltCon at uh, uh one of the hot games tables and a lot of people are like what the heck is this because it kind of isn't uh, is unlike anything you've really played before um very interesting co-op game i really kind of like it i think it's really unique um and that's fuji i don't know if you've even heard of this game previously i have Trevor. heard of it but i've uh i've not played it in connection with wolfgang Warsh, probably because it's his design yeah, yeah, yeah. that's um, that's my guess is where you've heard of it Yep, I've uh, I've heard of it, but have not played it yet. Yeah, I guess I should say actually also another thing. Uh, I don't really appreciate a lot of Wolfgang Warsh's games because a lot of them are kind of like these kind of like pachinko pinball style, like combo tastic, lucky games, uh, which is Quacks of Quedl Quedlinburg and Twice as Clever. That's pretty clever. Taverns of Diefenthal. They all have like this DNA. This game does not really have any DNA with any game that he's designed or that I've ever really played. It's very kind of really kind of like this weird idea that he just kind of put together and published it and it's pretty unique. So Yeah, I probably just kind of erased this from my mind because I know he <laughs> did Taverns of Tiefenthal and i really didn't like that game so i've just kind of been uninterested in trying oh. this other games yeah um, but no, I'd, I'd give it a shot yeah it's not competitive and yeah i might even uh, get this because it's also not uh, really expensive i think it's probably just about hitting like the clearance shelves now it's like three years old um and i think it wasn't expensive to begin with i think it's very uh like reasonable production so yep anyway and that's it that's fuji all right, my number one for today is uh, designed by Vitala Serta. This is actually not published by Eagle Griffin Games. Do you know what it is? Uh, actually, I'm kind of drawing a blank. I know Vitala Serta's games. It can't be uh, Mercado de Lisboa because that's not co-op, so... 
I don't it's know. CO2, second oh chance. Oh my gosh, yeah, gosh, duh. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely so, forgot about that game for some reason, but yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. But spoilers, anyway, go. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so this is actually a game that was on the chopping block for me um, because we had played it a couple of times uh, with Matt and Justine in the co- uh, the co- not co- the cooperative, the the competitive <laughs> game, and uh, it just kind of fell apart and didn't really work, at least with our group, I guess. Um, and so I was really disappointed because I, I thought I'd like it, and the theme is cool. You're trying to, you know, cor- corporations basically. Uh, building up green energy plants around the world to decrease pollution and all that. Um, But Harisu and I recently tried the cooperative game. And what we were concerned about going in is that, um, you know, it's it's a Euro game where you're basically trying to do some sort of contract fulfillment and um, recipe fulfillment, I guess, with sending scientists to summits to move up on, knowledge tracks and you know it's, it's a euro game um and the concern we had going in was that your decisions would be kind of obvious like um you know it maybe it would feel as though it should have just been a solo player game to where you just know what you should do every time and basically uh you don't have a whole lot of decisions as as playing a multiplayer game but we're really pleasantly surprised. The game actually was not obvious, and it had a lot of interesting decision points from what I recall the time we played a cooperative, and I, I really enjoyed it. I think it presented a neat puzzle, and there was enough game and enough crunch there for um, uh, for every player to feel like they were still playing their game but contributing to the whole. Um, I th- the game is obviously a solid design by because Vital Asserta just makes games that work. So the theme works. The I, th- I think the incentives for the game are a lot better in the cooperative version. Obviously, a really nice production with Eno Tool on on uh, graphic design and all that. I I just think that the competitive game just doesn't quite work for me, and so I think I'm keeping CO2 as a cooperative game only. Um, and I, I really actually enjoyed it. What did, what did you think? You played it with me. Yeah. Uh, I have the exact same opinion, actually. Uh, I'm looking at actually what people have said about it. And it's a very defi- divisive game, I think, because some people are like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Some people are like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. Not fun at all. Uh, I feel like the co- in this game, the cooperative versus the competitive game is like a completely different world. Um, even though the game plays by the same rules, technically, like the incentives are just like so different that I think the co-op game, like I, I wish people were like saying what game they're playing really uh, when they're t- saying opinions about it. Because uh, like you, yeah, I think the co- competitive version uh had some like really serious problems as far as like kind of incentives to do things and uh also the 
the I guess you should say the competitive version is not really competitive, and that's I think the biggest problem. It's still cooperative, so it's like semi-cooperative. Uh, however, this that semi-cooperative nature, like it's really easy to blow the game up. Um, and usually in semi-cooperative games, it's like they're a little bit more resilient to being blown up. I mean, if someone really wants to do it, uh, they, they also shouldn't be able to do it alone that easily. But in some games, you can. Uh, but there's mechanics to like exile them actually in, in those games where someone's like blowing up the game and like make them uh, kind of punish them in some way or whatever make them do s things on their own uh, in CO2 it's just really easy to blow up the game and uh, there's kind of not enough incentives to keep it together other than to just like finish the game or something so I feel like that's just like really weird and kind of broken um, I think the co-op is basically the only way for me to kind of play that game it just kind of doesn't really work um as a competitive game in my opinion maybe like it's our group meta maybe we have people that like to optimize too much or something and they're like well if it doesn't benefit me why should i do it and you kind of have to yeah. do selfless actions i think to just save the game from uh ending in the competitive game and i think that's where it just kind of doesn't work for me uh so because of that like those selfless selfless actions completely make sense in the co-op game which is i think where where the game really shines in my opinion at least this design of it i never played the old one uh, some people uh, are saying like the changes make the game different and they actually went as far as saying like i like the co-op in the previous one or the competitive in the previous one but not this one i think i've heard some something like that when i was looking at reviews i don't know but yeah very divisive kind of game because usually vital lacerda games are very um kind of i guess like good in general solid designs this one is i think it's it's a little it's, the old one was a little bit iffy and they made a second edition of it and it's still a little bit iffy yeah i just maybe it's just the way we play and i really wanted the co the competitive version to work but it just with with the groups we tried it with it just it just was, wasn't working and it it exploded like every time I don't think we ever made it past the second decade so yep. I think I think it just wasn't working but the the co the comp sorry the cooperative version was quite fun and I really enjoyed it a lot so that's uh, that's CO two second chance yep you gave it a second chance <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to some games on our horizon. Um, I'm going to kick off with something that uh, I think you're going to like this one. I don't know if you've heard of this. Um, it it kind of got a lot of buzz and just barely, I think, made it to the U.S. I believe it was in France before. It's called Nidavellir. My father's work. Just kidding. I think that's a really weird game title, My Father's Work, so that's why I said it as a joke. But no, I haven't <laughs> heard of Nidavellir. Nope. Yeah, so this is um, an interesting game. It's designed by Serge Leger or Leger. I, it's a French designer, so good luck on me pronouncing that. Um, and then the publisher, according to BGG, is Leger. I think Leger. Yeah, is uh, the publisher, according to BGG, is G R R R E Games. Gre Games. <laughs> uh, they're they're Gre. <laughs> <That's pretty fun. laughs> 
funny, actually. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, so basically, the theme of this game is you're some sort of like dwarf chieftain building a dwarf army to go, I guess, fight a giant dragon or something like that. But really what this game is, it's blind bidding um, to collect cards that score in different ways. Some some sort of set collection, some sort of like uh, getting the same colors because each color of... So I think there's like five colors of dwarves in the game and each color of dwarves scores differently. And if you collect a set of each of one of every color, then you also get to add like leader cards. So basically it's just a game of accumulating cards that to score points at the end of the game. But the, the, the bidding mechanic is uh, really interesting to me. I'm excited to try it out. Um, what it is, is uh, there's basically, I think three clans or th uh, th three crests uh, and each of those crests will have a certain number of dwarf cards every round, I think. And what you're doing is you have these coins um, that have different values on them and you're bidding on your blind bidding. So you're putting a coin face down on your player board in front of you for like the green shield or the blue shield or whatever. And then once everybody has put their bid face down, you then flip your coins and see who bid the most and whoever bid the most on that particular shield is going to get to pick up a card. Um, and then uh, there's a cool tie mechanic where if you put down the same number, then every player has like this giant runestone and whoever's runestone is the highest gets to win the card. But then if you tied, you switch runestones with the person who lost the tie. So then, you know, you're not always winning every tie every time. Um, and, and there's this cool mechanic too of everybody has a coin that's a zero. And you have five coins, but there's only three crests. So two of your coins are going to be out every time. And what you do is if, if you bid your zero, you flip your zero, and then you take the sum of the two coins you didn't bid, and then you discard the higher one, and then you pick up a new coin from this shelf that equals the sum of those two coins. So you're gradually also accumulating coins that are greater in value. So the game kind of gets... Uh, you know, escalates in that way. Um, and then I think it, the game is, I can't remember if it's two or three eras, but anyway, you just go through round after round of bidding and getting more money and spending more money uh, to get better cards, to complete your sets and just score points. And so I, I just think it sounds like a really cool game and I'm excited to play it. Uh, and you, you said you hadn't heard of this one before, right? No, I'm looking at the designer as well. He's done some games that have been, I don't know, I actually never really tried, but I've heard of. Uh, Cargo Noir, for example, comes to mind. Mario Nostrum, actually, I've tried, and I think it's okay. I like auctioning games uh, quite a bit, and actually, lately, there haven't been really many, if any, auctioning games that I can think of that have been like larger releases, so I'm kind of excited because of that, because I like, uh, like I say, just kind of auctioning. We've kind of gone away from... Uh, we used to play a lot of auctioning games. Uh, kind of Brandon used to bring a lot of auctioning games. Uh, but yeah, that set collection auctioning with clever mechanics actually sounds really cool. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna look at that one. Um, sounds interesting. Yep. So that's uh, that's Nidavellir, and there's actually an expansion that I have that uh, that's called Thingvellir. <laughs> so you just get more things. Thingvellir. What the yeah, heck? Yeah, I don't. I thought I don't it's a joke, but it, yeah, it's real. Yeah. I just looked at it. 
I don't know if that has some kind of meaning in whatever language this is supposed to be. It's, but Thing Valir is the name of the expansion. <laughs> it almost sounds like a joke or something, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, kind of. Uh, the cards are black and white, which looks kind of boring, except I think they kind of have to be. I think it was the, the design decision because yep. you really need to see the colors and the colors need to stand out. And if you cover the card in like uh, in insane colors, it's going to probably destroy that. Even though, yeah. I don't know, they could have done a little bit of color like muted or something. So it feels like you're playing like a monochrome game or something. Yeah, the the artwork is good. But yeah, it, the, the characters on the cards are are black and white, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, interesting though. I'm curious to see what he's made. Uh yep. So the games games on the horizon for me. Uh we talked about recently actually playing uh, about playing Commonauts. Uh that's a game that people have been mentioning to me for some uh reason for a while. The theme is really weird to me. Um I think you're exploring a person's mind and the person's in a coma that's why it's uh, commonauts and uh i was actually surprised i thought it's a standalone game but no it's not a st- well it is a standalone game but it's a re-implementation of stuffed fables fables and it's impl- re-implemented by aftermath i've seen all of the, all of those games on the shelf because they have really cool kind of looking covers and they look like something i might enjoy i've actually been really curious about stuffed fables i know it's like a children's game and really simple or whatever but the concept of kind of uh going through stories and books and having kind of like fights like rpg style fights on them or just rpg experiences on them maybe not necessarily fights sounds really interesting to me uh so almost like kind of like a choose your own adventure or something like a literal book i think that's a really cool concept uh, I'm surprised the reviews are actually not so great about it, but um, someone said they might get it and we might start playing it. So I guess I will let you know how it is if that happens. Um, but I've been really curious about that system because the system, I think, has a lot of promise. Uh, I'm not sure if... Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not sure if the common or aftermath is actually the better implementation of it. I might need to look at it and make some suggestions to the person that's about to buy the game maybe or preferences i guess they can do whatever they they want to do uh but yeah that's something that has been kind of an interesting maybe another campaign game that i'll be involved in for the next few months <laughs> which which seems to be happening lately um <laughs> Speaking of I don't which, know what you're about. yeah. Speaking <laughs> of which, we've started playing uh, the uh, whatever All My Goods universe uh, by uh, playing All My Goods, the uh, campaign game of All My Goods, which actually is surprisingly good for the exact opposite reasons of what we talked about in Maracaibo. The the uh, campaign seems to be changing the game significantly uh, in a good way. I think there's like events which change every round of the game, and I think they're really exciting and they really make a difference. Uh, and Trevor recently bought Expedition to Newdale, and I guess I'm kind of actually curious because uh, honestly, I'm not a very, I'm not a fan of uh, All My Goods because of the random production. Basically, the game actually feels really exciting because it's kind of like the Race for the Galaxy feel, where you get some kind of multi-use cards and you try to make 
make the best of your situation. However, it's all fed by this engine of random production, uh, which in kind of a push your luck element because you can try to produce on some card which you're hoping that the resources show up and you just like top deck and see if they show up. So the system is like, I don't know. Everything else in the game I like except that's and Trevor's uh, been trying to convince me that uh, in the board <laughs> it's game it's, in the board game it's actually good. So <laughs> we'll, we'll <laughs> so, see we'll see if it's actually good <laughs> in the board game basically because Expedition to New Dale is the board game version of All My Goods. So I'm just very curious to see what kind of how basically to mitigate the system that's in all my goods because i can't really see an easy way if you want to keep the spirit of it to kind of like change it up but uh yeah i'm I'm curious we'll we'll see yeah so we'll have to report back on this because um oh my goods the card game uh we just started the first expansion which is longsdale and revolt and that I think has four or five chapters, so it's four or five games. And then after that, there's Escape to Canyon Brook, which is another chapter, probably four chapters or something of the card game. And then it's the board game. Um, But I think, uh, just quickly, I think one of the things that potentially, well, the board game has, from what I understand, a lot more uh, possibilities to mitigate uh the random resource production and i think there are actually three options per building instead of just the produce oh, well, sloppily. that's a way to do it yep <laughs> yeah it's like produce sloppily produce average or produce extra i think is kind of the where the board yeah. game is heading and you have actually two workers you start the game with but you have the possibility to get up to four plus a boat so like there's more options and then the way the resource production works i think in that game is you actually just flip over a card that shows you how many uh like their workers in that game so like how many colors of workers and then i think you draw three extra workers from the bag to like add i see so it's like pulling from a bag and not necessarily the same kind of bs push your luck stuff in the the card game where you just flip until you see two suns but i think the board game is going to be the best version of the game but i kind of want to see how how it gets there by going through the uh card game expansions At least all my goods is uh, pretty short, so like I don't, I don't like the pusher aspect of it, but it's over in like fifteen twenty minutes, so whatever. I mean, if you had bad yeah. luck, like it's yeah. over and whatever, forget about it. Yeah, it's <laughs> n- it's not a game to be taken too seriously. It's yeah. a simple little card game. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's it for me as far as Expedition to New Dale, the Common Autumn Expedition to New Dale. Yep. Cool. Uh, so the game. Well, this is actually an expansion coming up. It's an expansion for Paris. The uh, Wolfgang, the Kramer Kiesling uh, Paris. There's yeah. a lot of games with Paris in the title. So this is Paris Le Toit. I don't know how to pronounce this, but uh, it's. <laughs> so this is actually the uh, Place de, de Le Toit, which is the Lard Road Junction. So the part that's already in the game. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but basically, what I think is happening with this expansion is actually really cool. Um, it It's adding more bonus tiles, so some variability around that bonus tile track, uh, which is good. But then they're also adding in strategy tiles, which I understand will add some sort of interest and focal point to the middle, uh, the middle spot. So going there might actually mean something now. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> well, maybe it does mean something, but we just haven't really done it in any of the games we've played. Uh, but we also broke a rule last time we played, so maybe we just need to play it again. Um, but it also adds unique player powers um, that uh, you can choose to change if you put one of your keys in the Arc de Triomphe in the middle. So I think there's some incentives uh, from the designers now to use that middle spot more. And I, I am hopeful that it will add a cool dynamic to the game. I think the game's already cool. I like it a lot, but uh, I'm excited to see what some new variability and, and uh, unique player powers add to the game. And that's it's, it seems like it's going to be a pretty small box expansion. So not, nothing Yeah. Yeah, we definitely large. we definitely played it wrong last time, uh, and that would have changed the entire game. So I kind of I actually feel like I haven't really played the game with three people or more, which is I think where the game is actually better than two. Two is kind of ridiculous. So I kind of wish we would actually play this properly with more people. But uh, imagine that designers who see a weakness in the game and plug it, because in my opinion, yes, the center space did need something and that's like exactly where they went with the expansion is kind of like powering up something that wasn't frequently used in the game or at all really uh for how expensive it was so yeah i actually think those changes or introductions to new mechanics sound really good as far as i feel like also the game needs some kind of spicing up as far as uh personal like asymmetric goal or some kind of ability sounds really good as well so that actually sounds really cool uh to me because i thought the game was like okay but it it needed like something more it was kind of my feeling about it really and i hope that's it so yeah yeah i would agree paris felt it felt refined but kind of vanilla yeah um it it's a good game and and i like playing it but i agree i think adding something like this in with some uh, variable player powers and things like that could add some interest and intrigue to the game uh, that maybe yes. wasn't there before. S sounds really good. Yep. So that's Paris uh, L'Etoile or L'Etoile. <laughs> it's probably L'Etoile. L'Etoile. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah, I think it's L'Etoile, but uh, I don't speak French, so. Uh, just really quickly, wanted to mention one other game I'm looking forward to because it was it was confirmed today actually that they're still going to publish it. Um, it's Tabanusi Builders of Ur from Board and Dice. Uh, oh, this was the controversial game. Yeah, this was on the rocks because of some controversy with one of the designers, Daniela Tashini, a couple months ago. Um, but it's actually co-designed by David Spade. <laughs> no, not not the active actor David Spade. Uh, David Spada, David Spada, uh, co-designed the game and apparently was kind of had the original idea for the game, but then it was co-designed by Tashini and Borden Dice. Kind of decided they maybe weren't ever going to publish a game from him again, but maybe that's sort of changing. Although they said in a press release today that they haven't entered into any new arrangements. They're just kind of finishing this project because they'd already started it and they feel like they owe it to the other co-designer to actually publish the game and anyway uh the game is a very dry looking crunchy heavier euro game it's um it's basically going to be 
Uh, I think something of a worker placement. There's not a whole lot of info on it just yet, but they released a picture of the board. And uh, you're going to be building the city of Ur, and there's like five regions. So you'll place your worker in one of those districts, and then when activating a district, you're going to take a die from that district, and then that die matches the color of the district. Um, basically, the resources you're going to get. Um, and then also it's going to determine which district your worker will activate on the next turn. So there's going to be some planning palooza going on in this game. It's probably going to have some resource management conversion. There's a couple of tracks, it seems. So it'll be kind of your standard crunchy Euro that appeals to me in city building. And we'll see how it is. There's not a, not a whole lot of information on it just yet. But they did confirm that they're publishing it. Yeah, the board doesn't look too bad, actually. I'm looking at it. Uh, I don't know if you've been on the forums, but uh, supposedly there's uh, some kind of a kick crowdfunding running already on a German site for it. And the German site is really strange because it has, like, English sections, but it also has German sections. So it's like a weird mixture of German and English. But, yeah, it's almost like a German version of Kickstarter or something. So they're basically running already a, I, a, a thing for it. That's strange. I don't know why they'd be doing a crowdfunding because this is going to go straight <laughs> to publication. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it it's says, straight to publication. <laughs> it also says, when can we expect this to go to Kickstarter or GameFound? Um, I don't know. It won't. But, yeah, it <laughs> won't, I guess. No, I don't know. Maybe it's some kind of a bidding site that's weird. Uh, yeah, I think it's... A, oh, they originally planned it as Kickstarter, but it's uh, going to retail, I think. Yeah, I didn't think that Board and Dice really did Kickstarter except for their uh, the deluxe reprints they're doing. Like, I think they're doing a deluxe reprint of La Granja uh, next year. Um, yeah. And they they did like Yedo and and yep. so they they did some stuff like that. Yeah, weird. Anyway, yeah, kind of uh, controversy around the designer, but yeah, it looks like an interesting game. I like the look of the board actually. So it looks like a bunch of tracks with some maybe area stuff happening. Looks like resources. Yep. Uh, yeah, it looks um, looks like your basic Euro with a very uh, brown board. The yep. leaning, leaning, leaning towards yellow, the yellow end of the spectrum. There's, this there's one a little bit of green. There's yep. some, a, a Just, big, uh, big river going not through. Not too it. much green, though. It can't have too much green. It has to be like a yellow, no. yellow tinge. So it looks like yeah, a papyrus, exactly. I guess. I think that's what they're going for in this case, but whatever. But yeah, yep. no, it looks looks good. Yeah, I'm always interested in his games in, in theory. <laughs> Hopefully this is in a good theory, one. Yeah. So. In, enjoyment is a different question. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's that's it for me. That's uh, Tabanusi Builders of Ur. Cool. Yep, I think that's it. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Cards and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble, 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 a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com, or visit our website, www.cardsandcubes.com. We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. 
We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening. And we will return in a couple of weeks. Thank you.